Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is June the 15th. And our chapter for today is the golden chapter of the Old Testament. It is Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is a rhetorical question. God from chapter 40 onward has been asking the nation of Israel to listen. Israel is his servant. Israel is a light to the nation. Israel over and over again is referred to as the servant of God. But over and behind that is the overlay of the messianic presence and promises. And God over and over again refers to a savior who would rise out of Israel, a light who would rise out of the nation of Israel, one who would come forth and fulfill all the promises of God. And the question of 53.1 is rhetorical. The reality is the nation didn't believe the report that the Messiah had come. The scripture says in verse 2 that he will grow up. He shall grow up. Talking about a person. You cannot read through Isaiah 53 unless you have a preconceived idea and a bias that this is not talking about an individual, not the nation. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, that there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, Jesus didn't come with beauty and pomp and circumstance from an outward standpoint. No, that is uh, the description of him in Isaiah 53 two. In actuality, he is despised and rejected by men. He is a man of sorrows and grief is acquainted with him. That's a better translation. Grief is acquainted with him. He is the one that grief comes to know. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. You see, this is the nation of Israel now coming to grips with the reality that they rejected the Son of God. Surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. That and, that conjunction, is just a carrying on of what he has done. He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, certainly not his. He was bruised for our iniquities, certainly not his. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. This is the substitutionary nature of the Messiah. And then in verse 6, he says in the Hebrew text, Kulanu katson ta'inu, ish lidarko paninu, all we like sheep have gone astray, and every man has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, this is very important. 
Is there any that is righteous? The scripture says, no, not one. That's a triple negative. Paul quoted that in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. Is there any righteous? No, not one. There is none. It's almost like Paul was anticipating someone to say, but no, but not one. There is none righteous, not one. No, not one. We have all gone our own way. We've all gone astray. The concept here is a flies in the face of this idea that we're all seeking God. We're trying to find God. No, as a matter of fact, the scripture says just the opposite. We're running as hard as we can away from God. We want to rule our own lives. Man wants to be in charge of everything. That is the great sin of the West in which we live. It is not that we're bowing down before God man-made idols as such, although we do. Idols not maybe of fashioned gold and articulated silver, but we bow down to the gods of fame and name and acclaim. We bow down to public opinion. We bow down to political correctness. We bow down to our portfolios. We bow down to the idea of security. We bow down to the God of democracy. We bow down to all of these gods of our own making. But the greatest God of the West is man himself. It's the idea that man is the arbiter of what is right and wrong and that one set of standards is just as good as another. And what I believe is as valid as what you believe. And I'm okay, you're okay. That is garbage from the pit of hell. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that man has gone astray from a holy, righteous God, and God is pursuing him because man is running away from God as hard as he can. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He did not die for his own sin. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He was absolutely sinless. He was impeccable. There was not one sin, neither guile and deceit found in his mouth, but he died. The wages of sin is death. He would have never had to die, but he chose to die to pay for your sins and mine. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, So Jesus, that is Messiah, Yeshua, did not open his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. That's very important. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. And they made his grave with the wicked. That is, he was crucified with those all around him at a place called Golgotha in the Aramaic and Hebrew. It's a word which means the place of the skull, skull hill. In Latin, it is the word Calvaria. That is why we sing of Calvary. We don't sing of Golgotha because it doesn't rhyme with anything. It's hard to say, but we go with the Latin translation of the Vulgate of St. Jerome, the Bishop of Bethlehem, who pastored the church there in Bethlehem in the 300s when he uh, translated out in the caves below that church. He translated out the scriptures into Latin, the language of the people. 
It was this kind of language that brought about this whole concept of transgressions and substitution, and it was made plain to the people. It was already laid out in Greek. It was spoken in Hebrew and Aramaic, and all to say what God was trying to do was make it clear that the idea of substitution is the heartbeat of redemption. Jesus died for us. Yeshua died for us, not for his own sins, but for ours. He made his grave with the wicked at Calvary. The garden tomb is only a stone's throw, a good center fielder's toss to the tomb in the garden nearby. And it was a rich man's tomb because he made his grave with the wicked. Yes, he was crucified with malefactors, with people on either side of him who had done wrong and great sinners. But also he was buried by a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, a wealthy man and a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin, came together to bury him in a tomb where no man had been laid in a rich man's tomb because he has done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And it says in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. See, this was God's plan. God loved his son. Yes, he did. But he knew that if he did not die and pay the penalty for sin, man would forever be lost. And so he put him to grief when he made his soul an offering for sin. And the Bible says he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall just Justify many. He will cause them to be justified as though they had never sinned. Their sins will be forgiven, and justification is the imputation of the righteousness of another, for he shall bear their iniquities. He bore our sins, our guilt, our shame. Therefore, God says, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's you and for me. And do you know he's still doing that? The book of Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession for us. You see, if Jesus is praying for you right now, if you are struggling, Jesus is praying for you right now. If you are mourning and grieving, Jesus is praying for you right now. If you are lonely, Jesus is praying for you right now. If you are about to give up, Jesus is praying for you right now. If you're about to take your own life, Jesus doesn't want you to do that. And Jesus loves you, and he's praying for you right now that you'll be strong and that you will see that he has a plan and purpose for your life. You see, these podcasts go out to people from every walk of life in every stage of life and people who are happy people who are sad people who are angry and people who are glad people from every walk of life and I say to you Jesus loves you he's praying for you he has a plan for your life don't turn your back on Jesus he loves you and he is pursuing you that's why you're hearing this podcast he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Turn your life over to him. Turn away from what you want to do and give your life to him completely. 
Many people are searching for success, and they would not know it if they found out what it was because they don't know what they're searching. They're searching for something that they don't even know the answer to what it is. Years ago, I asked a very successful young man by the world's eyes what he wanted out of life. He said, I want to be a success. I said, can you define success for me? He stuttered and stammered around until he was totally embarrassed. And he said, well, you know what it is. I said, yes, I do. But obviously you don't. So I shared with him the definition of success that I have found and have simmered down from the word of God. Here it is. Don't forget it. This is success in life, to know God, to know God's purpose for your life, to find out what God wants you to do and do it, to know God, to know his will for your life, and to do it, pursue it, stay after it. God has brought you to this podcast so that you can repent Turn your life over to him. If you're astray as a child of God, come back home today. Ask God to renew your commitment to him. Ask God to restore the joy of salvation that you once knew. And if you've never truly given your life to Jesus right now, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Save me right now and make me your child. I give everything I am to all that you are. Someone asked me about three months ago, they said, what will it take for me to be saved? Will I have to give up everything, anything? And I said, in order for you to be saved, you have to give up everything. No reservations. Come to Jesus. We used to say in the auction world, lock, stock, and barrel. In other words, the title deed to your life goes over to Jesus. You sign away your rights, your privileges, and you become the servant of Jesus. What is salvation? It's total repentance. It is unreserved and without any holdback, giving Jesus your life. You're not saved with reservations. God doesn't save nine acres of a 10-acre heart. God wants every boundary. God wants every part of your life and nothing other than that will do. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.